welcome to Unchained TV, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. You're about to hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your health, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, I am so excited to have two dynamic game changers here. Let's talk about the problem. Our planet is on fire. We are experiencing more and more climate catastrophes and we're still in the appetizer phase. It's going to get worse. And who is going to suffer the most? Obviously, the younger generations, they have more to lose. The Greta Thunberg generation, the Gen Zers, as well as the Gen Alphas who were born in 2010 or even more recently. So there is an organization called the New Roots Institute that is training leaders of tomorrow to fight factory farming. And they have achieved huge uh, stats 280,000 students impacted, 10,000 high school and college students, 400 plus youth trained in leadership. And we're so excited to have one of those youth, as they say. Um, I love that phrase, youth. But yeah, 100 young people trained in leadership. Parker Doe is one of them. And um I'm going to start with Natalie Amesqua. You are the leader of the Los Angeles education team. Tell us, what is the New Roots Institute? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. So the New Roots Institute, formerly known as Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, we are a nonprofit and we aim to empower and train the next generation to end factory farming. And we do that through our different programs, educational programs. We have in-classroom education. We have our leadership program that Parker um, is a part of. And we are in classrooms and that is how we are engaging students. That's how we're creating ecosystems of change so that these students, these fellows, these alumni who are wanting to make change in their classrooms and their institutions and their campaign and their schools, can do those campaigns and they have an ecosystem for success. And that's what we are we are here to, to do. We are here to train them, to empower them, to give them the skills and knowledge needed. And we are really, really happy with all we've accomplished so far and where we're headed as well as an organization. It's very exciting. Uh, I was just talking to Parker and she is so impressive. Parker, tell us what your experience has been. You're a senior, I understand, at UCLA. You're a graduate of the New Roots Institute. So what happened? What did you do with the New Roots Institute and how did it change you? Right. So I was very lucky to be able to find the opportunity to have a fellowship that focused on what I cared about, ending factory farming, the environment, animal rights. And through the Institute, I had biweekly lessons about different aspects of factory farming and different methods of stopping it as well as having direct mentorship from many of their connections to actually make those changes on my campus. So one of the projects I worked on outside of the New Roots Institute is hosting a Model United Nations conference with about 
2,000 attendees. And because of the New Reads Institute, I was able to enact a policy where the conference will be catered to the plant-based default, which is in line with a lot of United Nations recommendations so that high school students, when they come to debate climate change and food security, their choices can reflect their words. Additionally, we're working with our dining hall. We're already in talks with the head chef about implementing some plant-powered Fridays so that we can have fully plant-based dining halls, as well as implementing an oat milk default. And then outside of that, I've been really empowered to pursue leadership in the community. So I've been working with Mercy for Animals to lead demonstrations. This weekend, we had one at Shake Shack to hold them accountable for their welfare promises. So overall, I think that the Institute has really equipped me with the skills, the knowledge, and especially the confidence to really pursue what I care about, which is ending factory farming. Wow. And what I think is so significant, UCLA is a very important university and uh, it really um, is a big part of our culture. Uh, so there is animal experimentation going on at UCLA. I know that because I've attended many protests where uh, groups of anti-vivisectionists march demanding an end. And um, we know that a lot of our nation's leaders have attended UCLA. So it's not just you're doing this at any school. I mean, if you get these uh, changes implemented at UCLA and we invite UCLA on any time, um, I think that would be a massive cultural game changer. They say, as LA goes, so goes the nation. And as UCLA goes, so goes LA, so goes the nation. I mean, can you break down, Natalie, as the LA lead educator for New Roots Institute, exactly how significant it is to have these changes made at a prestigious university like UCLA? Absolutely. So these changes are phenomenal. They're not only cultural shifting, so the ecosystem in UCLA, you know, students will be, whether they're vegetarian, vegan, meat eaters, whatever they assign them, whatever they their diet is, they're seeing this change in diet and plant options, plant favorite options to be more and more accessible, more and more frequent. And therefore, we're creating a shift, a cultural shift for students, alumni, community members to be more adapt to these changes, to be more welcoming to these changes. And just like you mentioned, you know, UCLA shifts can shift LA culture, which can shift the, na the national culture. And it's really important what these students are doing, what these fellows are doing in their campuses and creating that shift, that cultural shift. And just to show some of the photos that are on the New Roots Institute Instagram, there is the classroom in action. Um, there are young students taking to the streets. I believe that's New York City, right where I grew up. I can recognize the cobblestones. Uh, and it also seems to be a lot of fun. Uh, there's just big grins on everybody's faces on every image that we see. So, uh, by the way, you're getting some kudos from those who are commenting. Annie A says, thank you, New Roots Institute, for all you're doing to save earthlings and our environment. And New Roots Institute weighing in. Go, Parker. We're so proud of all your accomplishments as a fellow. So, um, we've got a caller. Um, Lindsay from Tarzana, your question or thought for our panel. Well, I'm just thrilled to hear that um, these two young people are 
associated with UCLA, and this program is uh, affiliated with UCLA because I'm a UCLA graduate. And um, when I was on campus, it was like heaven. Um, We sat on the grass. I had no idea what was going on in some of the science labs. Uh, later on, when I went back to protests and different things, I thought about that a lot. So it makes me feel so good that UCLA is involved in this organization. And this is new to me, and I'm going to look up New Roots Institute and um, follow up with it. I'm very pleased to uh, learn about this. Thank you. Oh, wow. We have a UCLA grad calling in. That's amazing. We've got another caller, Paige, in Agoura Hills, your question or thought for our New Roots Institute panel. Okay, this is so powerful and so important. I'm also um, a UC system graduate from uh, UC Santa Barbara and a family from UCLA. Anyway, what I want to make a point about or ask is how do you feel about this change, the, uh, the receptivity of what you're bringing to the campus. In other words, among your peers, are they uh, showing that they're open to listening about factory farming and the environmental impact of uh, animal agriculture uh, on our on our climate crisis? Thank you. Excellent question. Parker, you wanna take it away? You're on campus. For sure. So we recently started a student organization called the Animal Welfare Alliance and we had our first big outreach tabling session last week, and we had over 50 interest forms filled out. We have our first general meeting tomorrow. And one thing that really stuck out to me was that the majority of the people that signed up and wanted to join our community of plant-forward lifestyle students is that most of them weren't vegetarian or vegan, and they were curious about how they can make this change in their life for the environment and for their health and for our numerous amount of other reasons. And also I've been very pleasantly surprised with how accepting faculty has been for the changes that we've talked about. We've already talked with the head chef and they've already made commitments in order to make the dining halls more plant-based. So it's just a matter of them committing to that and following through with the actual menu changes. And it's also great to see a lot of professors on board. Right now with the Animal Welfare Alliance, we're working on developing an animal studies minor so that students who are really interested in this from the lab to the farms can do a deep dive into our relationship with other species. So in general, it's been incredible. And then one last thing I wanted to add is that this is the first week of school. And this week you can get three free vegan dinners from different clubs because Monday, the Effective Altruism Club hosted a meeting, Tuesday, Alt Protein, and then Friday, the Animal Welfare Alliance. So there's a huge community on campus of people who want to serve others in a way that is also serving our planet and the animals. Oh, wow. Wow. Fantastic. And we have yet another caller. Uh, We've got Nilofar in Dallas, Texas. Your question or thought for our New Roots Institute panel. Hi. How does the New Roots Institute grapple with the urgency of the accelerating climate crisis um, which a large part of it has to do with these uh, gruesome and repulsive CAFOs. Oh, wow. You know, that is such a great question because I think your primary goal is to end factory farming of animals. And, you know, <clears throat> uh, we have so much horror that we can show you. It's actually more than, it's so awful that 
I actually have to really delete uh, the worst, but it's still terrible. These are from undercover investigations and from Open Rescue. This is a Canadian um, factory farm that had one of the highest uh, ratings. Oh, here's the Mercy for Animals, some video. This is how pigs live. Pigs uh, who are smarter than dogs in crates the size of their bodies, never able to turn around. Their, their pain and their anguish is so palpable um, in, uh, you know, any undercover investigation that has ever occurred. There, there is an activist trying to comfort a suffering animal. Um, these animals are in a hell on earth. And, you know, we invite anybody from the animal agriculture industry. This is the Canadian investigation where the people who went in and live streamed this were put on trial. And uh, the, uh, the Canadian Pork Council said they have the highest standards. This is a coughing pig. I mean, I could go on and on all day. I don't want to upset people, but our whole goal at Unshade TV is to help people burst through uh, their denial and to see the reality of what is actually going on. So uh, let me ask you, uh, Natalie, how are you bursting through that wall of denial where people finally realize, no, these animals are not happy. They're being tortured on a massive scale unseen in human history. Yeah, that's a really good question. So our lessons, we have Socratic style lessons or seminars and we connect factory farming to what our audiences care most about. So whether it's a fashion course or an econ class or an environmental focused lesson, then we'll highlight more about climate change. And we connect every issue that our audiences care most about to factory farming because factory farming is connected to every systematic issue, every social justice issue that we can grapple with and we can learn about. And we really tie in how factory farming impacts climate change, how factory farming impacts um, human rights issues, social justice issues, environmental racism issues. And we really tailor our lessons to, these, to the needs and curriculum needs of teachers and professors and what they most care about. And I mean, we don't go in as an animal rights activism organization, but we definitely include factory farming and animal welfare standard practices in every lesson because it's important to know the immensity of factory farming. You know, we are raising and, and growing and producing 10 billion animals every year in the U.S. alone. So that number is very huge. And in order to understand the interconnections between factory farming and economics, the interconnections between factory farming and the environment or public policy or whatever the case is, we need to understand the immensity of this industry and how big it actually is. And that it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable for the animals. It's not sustainable for humans. It's not sustainable for the environment, uh, nutrition-wise, health-wise. It's really connected to every issue, and we make sure that we connect all those issues while we're in the classroom, while we're giving those Socratic style seminars. And that was video from uh, Animal Outlook. Uh, we invite any company um, from the animal agriculture industry on any time. We would love to dialogue with them. And uh, the comments coming in. Um, Luca says, so true, factory farming is interconnected between so many areas and there's an avenue of change. Great point, Natalie, says Luca. We've got still more callers. You've hit a um, nerve. Uh, Michelle in Los Angeles, your question or thought? 
Um, the New Roots Institute is amazing, and the work you're doing, Parker, um, if you were in school when I was in school, I would have been I would have become vegan sooner. I was vegetarian, and then when I worked in news with Jane, I learned more. But I have to tell you that um, I wonder, back in the day, like the cognitive dissonance, it w- was huge. Do you feel that students or the people that you're interacting with are really getting it and are making that connection? And um, are, do you have plans, New Roots Institute, to go to USC and maybe influence there, my alma mater? <laughs> oh, yeah, USC. What do you say, Parker? Are you ready to head cross town to the USC campus? Yeah, one thing that our organization plans to do this year is to reach out to local campuses. So USC is first on their list, both to their animal rights groups, but also to their environmental groups. And through Plant Futures, we also have a network of students across the whole country with similar goals and online meetings are definitely in store for us. On the cognitive dissonance comment, I when I noticed that the majority of the people that signed up on our interest form weren't plant-based yet, we shifted the message of our intro meeting to be about why you should join our club and why it's so fun to be in this community to why it's so important that our diets and our lifestyles shift dramatically. We're going to show images with the warning, of course, of the conditions of factory farms. We're going to talk about the health impacts. We're going to talk about the environmental impacts so that everyone knows and that they can't ignore the fact that factory farming is one of the worst things that has happened to our planet. It sure is. So we've got yet another caller. This is, uh, you're setting a record here. Um, Michael in Los Angeles, your question or thought for the New Roots Institute panel. Yes, I, first I just want to thank you both for all you're doing to spread awareness. Um, but my question basically is about regarding Greta Thunberg. She has, you know, as you know, she has an amazing influence on, you know, literally millions of people across the world. And I don't feel that she's prioritizing or even mentioning the connection between climate change and animal agriculture nearly enough as it should be mentioned. Uh, my question is, have you ever had a chance to speak to her? And what do you think about that? Oh, that is a good question. Um, yeah, uh, I think the, the caller makes a point. Uh, Natalie, you want to tackle that one? Yeah, that's a really good point. I have not connected with Greta myself personally, um, and I do think it is a shame that with such a powerful voice that they have, it's important to always include factory farming because that is one of the most destructive industries to our planet. And yeah, I would love to understand why and would love to create, continue to create this culture shift so that more people like yourself are demanding and asking questions. Why isn't this mentioned more often, not just for Greta Thunberg, but in every system that we experience or that we're part of, why isn't factory farming discussed more. It is the foundation of our food system. It should be discussed absolutely a lot more than it is now. Well, one reason that I started Unchained TV is that the mainstream news media does not cover it. And indeed, if she were to say something publicly in, let's say, a speech, she was here uh, in downtown LA speaking, the news media would edit that out. Just like when the COP conferences happen, there's a lot of vegan signs Our coverage shows all these vegan signs and all this vegan messaging. The mainstream media does not show any of that messaging. Why? Look at the advertisers, fast food and pharmaceuticals, essentially the meat, dairy and pharmaceutical industries, which are interlocked. 
Um, per one example, recently, the New York Times, which does do articles, I will give them that, um, perhaps more than other uh, publications, but this, this extraordinary new article, which should have been everywhere, was not picked up by anybody, and it wasn't their headline. It said, researchers examined the diet of 55,500 people and found that vegans are responsible for 75% less in greenhouse gases than meat eaters. Now, what that's saying essentially, and this was an Oxford University study, is that this is a solution to climate change. If everybody could reduce their, and I say everybody because most Americans are heavy meat eaters. If everybody reduced and, and or eliminated their consumption of meat, we could reduce their greenhouse gas emissions by 75%, essentially solving the climate crisis. Now, no other news organization that I saw picked it up. It wasn't anywhere on, and I'm talking liberal and conservative. Nobody picked it up like it didn't happen. What they do play is what I call catastrophe porn. Oh, bodies piling up in Libya because of floods, uh, catastrophes here, catastrophes there, because that's good for ratings. So the solution is right there on the, in the New York Times. They don't report it, but they, they talk about the catastrophe, work people up into a frenzy that now there's even a phrase called climate anxiety. People are freaking out that much, and they should be. But the solution that involves putting that meat down and eating some fruits and vegetables is not mentioned at all. And that's because the pillars of our democracy, government and media, have been completely co-opted by the meat and dairy industry to the point where the head of the United States Department of Agriculture is a dairy industry trade group leader. I've said enough, uh, but... It's it's really, really a problem. Okay, next caller, Annie in Sherman Oaks, your question or thought for our New Roots Institute panel. Hello, thank you. Oh, wow, I'm so excited. This is so hopeful, so joyful uh, to have youth like you to be uh, taking charge. Where? What motivated you? I'd love to know what you, how did you make the connection and how did you both connect together and how can we um, multiply this beautiful, incredible, heroic energy to save the world? So thank you so I much, love everyone. It. Much love. <laughs> thank you. Parker, that's a great question. You know, why you? We often wonder why certain people get the message and others don't. Tell us your story. Um, my personal journey began on YouTube when I saw videos of factory farming conditions and that really flipped a switch in my head. But it was when I learned about how it was so interconnected with the environment and human health and how so little, like you said, of the news coverage relating to the environment did not talk about it. I think that it's really important that my generation recognizes that Cargill and Tyson and these companies need to be talked about in the same breath as ExxonMobil and Chevron when it comes to who is accountable for climate change and who is pulling the strings behind the government and telling them to continue making us sick and our land sick and killing billions of animals. And I really think that these factors are starting to be too large to overlook, even for people who might have cognitive dissonance, because you can go outside and see that it's five degrees hotter than it should be or that there are floods on our coastal towns. So I think that it's important that we recognize that our economic system is really favoring these companies who do not have our best interests in mind and that 
there needs to be a stand made against them, just like climate activists for years have been making a stand against big oil companies. Oh, yeah. Extremely good points. And Paige Parsons Roach says, I find when I'm at environmental events, the connection to food is off the table. I'm hoping New Roots Institute will be able to penetrate the mainstream media mindset of eco communities. Um, Natalie, that's a very good point, is that the environmental organizations often do not want to hear this message. They do not want to hear um, <clears throat> that they've got to that if they really want to call themselves environmentalists, they should stop eating animals. Uh, what is the New Roots Institute doing on that front, the environmental front? Absolutely. So, you know, like I mentioned before, we don't go into classrooms as animal rights activists or organizations. We're really there to highlight the interconnections of factory farming and end factory farming. And in that notion, in that same notion as we're speaking to environmental classrooms, we're speaking to econ students, we're speaking to public policy, we're really creating an ecosystem for change and allies in different sectors or aligned organizations. It's really important that, you know, it's not just individuals like Parker who are really doing the most and are doing amazing work on the ground. We also need allies who support those changes, who work in environmental organizations that don't talk about factory farming and have that awareness, have that knowledge, that interconnecting knowledge. And that's where we come in. We're really creating an ecosystem for change so that we're not only creating co-conspirators like Parker, we're creating um, accomplices and allies. That's the spectrum of allies. And we really need to be able to target and speak to everyone on that spectrum because whether you're into the environment, let's say you don't really care about animal rights issues at all, but you really do care about the environment, you wouldn't be able to, it, having that knowledge, that interconnecting knowledge of how factory farming impacts the environment is crucial. And that's why we tailor ourselves or we tailor our lessons to meet curriculum needs, to reach those different audiences with very different values, very different morals and shine this light on what is happening. And, I, and we believe that that is the way that we will create change. We will create an ecosystem for success for our students, our fellows who are doing this work on the ground in their institutions, but also creating allies in so many different um, sectors, so many different allied organizations, whether they're part of the animal rights movement or not. It's important that more people are on page, more people are asking questions, more people are understanding those interconnections and how those systems interconnect and how they're all really a part of a huge fabric of society. So that is one, that is how we believe that we will create this change. And we see that evidence, not only in Parker, we see that evident in so many successes of our alumni and fellows and the ecosystem, our student responses. When we're in the classroom, we get really high response rates from our surveys that they will support plant-based initiatives in their schools. They will support public policy that limits the uh, limits factory farming or limits the impacts of factory farming. And that is evident through our classrooms, our classroom lessons. That is so good to hear because, for example, when we were all at the AVA summit, the Animal Vegan Advocacy Summit, there was a young woman there who was suing uh, one of the biggest school districts in the country for not allowing her to have a default of plant-based milks. And so, you know, when you hear that, you think, oh, my gosh, uh, the educational uh, institutions, along with government and media, have been completely co-opted by the dairy industry, which is true to a certain degree. But it seems like you guys are breaking through. And that's the good news. Persist. 
persist <laughs> even when they resist. So we're going to take a short break here on Voice America Radio, but we're staying live on Unchained TV, the streaming network. We're staying live on all of our socials and we're going to continue this conversation. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Unchained TV. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email in to jane at unchainedtv.com. Now, back to the show. All right, and you're looking at our QR code if you'd like to join the team and be part of our nonprofit streaming network. Uh, just... Put your phone over that, and uh, you can just also go to unchainedtv.com. And we have 1,500 uh, videos, documentaries, cooking shows, travel shows, talk shows, including this one that is live right now on our Unchained TV streaming app, all with the purpose of what we've been talking about. There is a societal um disregard of this issue because it's the most inconvenient truth. Uh, people can talk about fossil fuels. Oh, you know, half of people, you, you go down the street, ask somebody to find fossil fuels, half of them wouldn't be able to do it. But the power of taking back the power three times a day with your plate, whoa, that is threatening to the powers that be because that Everybody can do, and we hope that they do for their own health as well. We've got yet another caller for our New Roots Institute panel. Sarah from Beverly Hills, your question or thought. 
Hi, I just actually learned from your app recently that there was a concert in Pasadena, Coldplay, but that the support and feed organization through um, Billie Eilish's mom, Maggie Baird, they partnered up with all these young people going to the concert and asked them to bring in plant-based foods. And, like, you know how they have food drives and can drives? They they had this, like, thing where you go to the concert and you bring all this, like, plant-based foods and just different things. And I think, like, the Gen Z, you know, the, the young generation now, I think they should be doing that every concert that they have. They should have some type of plant-based message. What do you think about that? Parker, you want to take that one? I bet you'd go to a lot of rock concerts. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. <laughs> I think that, like you said, it's something that we do three times a day Eat. It's such a big community aspect. So most events have food. And if that food can be plant-based, that is a huge impact for that day, but also for the future. Because if you go to an event that claims to care about the environment, about animals, and you see that's reflected in their meals, the next time you go to eat a meal that contains animals, you're going to think twice about that. That's why I'm really excited to be hosting a Model United Nations conference. You typically don't think about animal rights when you think about international wars, but it really does apply to every aspect of life. Every institution can be plant-based. Hospitals in New York are already going plant-based. And youth events where people are generally open-minded to eating plant-based is a great place to start with that. Um, it's really disappointing when I go to a club meeting and all the refreshments they serve are, you know, cheese pizza when there are, you know, 75% of people who are lactose intolerant and a large percent of people who don't want to support the dairy industry. So I think that's a great point in that concerts and other social gatherings are the perfect place to spread a very uplifting message of have some delicious and climate friendly and animal friendly food with me. Absolutely. Now, I want to ask a provocative question. Some of the stats show that while everybody is assuming that Gen Zers are going to be the most plant-based friendly demographic, um, there's a challenge to that in some studies. And some people are saying, you know, actually, um, because fast food is so ubiquitous that uh, kids are really uh, it's a fast food nation and that the younger generation is not getting it at the rate they need to. Do you have any um, thoughts on that or any insights given that you're working with the youth com community, Natalie? Yeah, I think um, a lot of students from my experience express that they are interested in adopting more plant, more plant-based diet, but a lot of them are tied to what their parents eat, right? They don't have a lot of money. They don't have voting power in that sense. They're young enough, not, not old enough to vote. So there is a lot of obstacles, I believe, in the beginning stages. That's why it's so important for us to get into the classrooms right now, because we are in such a hot time in, you know, his, in Earth's history with climate change, uh, sustainability being a topic that everyone talks about, carbon emissions, all these different discussions that students are hearing, but they don't really understand how they connect to that and how they can then help the planet, whether it's through their career or what have you. So I think one of the biggest obstacles for students right now or Gen Zers or Gen Alphas is the money aspect. You know, they don't have enough money to buy their own food. They're kind of tied to what their parents consume. And I like to give the option of, you know, join your parents through uh, going to the grocery store and suggest an alternative. So just suggest to purchase tofu for this meal. Like, hey, let's try this out. Let's 
you know, implement these changes little by little to kind of create that culture of awareness, culture of acceptability within their household. I think that's the biggest obstacle. But I would also say that uh, the youth right now are in a great position because they're thinking about their careers, they're thinking about their planet, they're thinking about the health of themselves, of their family members, and then understanding the connections to factory farming with all of that, and then coming into, you know, beginning their careers, beginning to start up everything that, that they really care about and having this knowledge and awareness of how they can improve the system, whether it's through an ind individual level and then a societal level is really crucial. And I think, I think students are really apt to that change and creating that change and being part of that change, but there are some obstacles in the beginning. Well, I, I just think this is so important what you're doing. Um, I want to really understand it better. We have uh, just a few more minutes and I really actually had a misconception. I thought it was sort of like an internship where like when I was in college, I could get an internship because I was a journalism major at uh, a network and, you know, basically get coffee for news anchors and things like that. Um, but you're saying it's really not that model. It's more like a fellowship model. You work with organizations and they help you um, advocate for change within the schools you're in, either high school or college. Can you break it down for us, Parker? Because you are a graduate of the New Roots Institute and you went through the program. I think when people hear you describe what, what organization, nonprofit did you work with? How did it play out? I think people would have a much better understanding than, than just assuming that, falsely assuming it's like some kind of internship. Yeah, so logistically, the New Roots Fellowship, you meet three times a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The amazing educators give us comprehensive lessons about factory farming and different ways to stop it. And then on Wednesdays, that's when they go into details about how to actually implement an institutional campaign. So they tell you what members of your faculty and your school should you be reaching out to? What language should you be using in order to convince them that it's important for students to have plant-based options in the dining halls? And then for me specifically, that looks like being connected with Greener by Default, which is an organization that helps conferences and other businesses cater plant-based options to their constituents. And I was able to work with them. I met with them a couple times over Zoom to launch the plant-based default for my model United Nations conference. They also gave us guidance. We're working with the Humane Society, which typically only works with cats and dogs, but now they're actually focusing on farmed animals to in our dining halls. So they have provided us with types of surveys that we can give to students with a timeline of when we should be reaching out and when we should be checking up and to take measures of how impactful our policies are. And just one-on-one -on -one meetings with mentors like Natalie and many other educators who can support our specific questions and setbacks that we have along the way. Because at the end of the day, we are fighting against a very powerful institution. Uh, well said. Let's listen to one of the leaders of the New Roots Institute. But no matter what the class is, we always have to talk about what factory farming is, which includes you know, stories about animals and animal treatment. And I can tell you that of all the different sections that we might have in a lesson, which includes, again, public health, social justice, environment, it is the animal section that really resonates with students the most. And we have many thousands of data points 
to prove that it's like actually the animal section that really connects with students. So our goal is to really work with higher engagement schools where we have a presence and we're going back like year after year or semester after semester and maybe even reaching some students at different grade levels. We also have um, pre-curriculum and post-curriculum um, of our visits too. And when we're doing our work, it's really important for us to be surveying our students. And it's not just about how many of them have expanded their moral circle and like might be interested in eating more um, you know, vegan products. It's also about like, will they support legislative change to end factory farming? Would they support seeing more plant-based options in their institutions? Which I think is very valuable and gets to a lot of what I discussed in my talk yesterday, which is about how we need leaders and also how we need supporters, these passive supporters. And that's really how we're thinking about how to build this movement. It's like how we need all these different pieces together. Wow, well said. Natalie, I want to ask you about something she mentioned is going year after year with new students. Like when you graduate, Parker, you're leaving UCLA and then could it could some of your advances then basically uh, experience attrition. Um, but if you have somebody replacing you at UCLA that is running a similar kind of program, then you can keep it alive. Can you talk about that, Natalie? Yeah, so we go to the same, so we really focus on high engagement schools. So those are schools where we have an active fellow like Parker, and we are also speaking to more classrooms than one with more teach with more than one teacher. And through these programs, through the classroom program where we go into the classrooms and give Socratic style seminars, we also have the, we also recruit those students who really feel like this really spoke to them and they want to do something more to our New Roots Institute Fellowship Program, which is where Parker is a fellow of. And this program combines an intensive student-centered curriculum with the on-the-ground advocacy experiences. So students learn about the impacts of factory farming on non-humans, humans with an emphasis on those in marginalized communities and the planet. And in addition to gaining the context, they need to understand the impacts and students receive extensive training on how to communicate effectively and persuasively and how to connect the impacts uh, to the interests of various groups, so whatever their, their interest group is. And they take this knowledge into the practical component of the program, which is phase two and three, which it, Parker is a part of now uh, the, with the fall and the spring. And then they work with our partner organizations on their communities to shift policies and social norms around animal-based foods and increase access to alternatives. So Parker right now is doing a plethora of programs and projects on their campus. And that's how, that's where New Roots comes in because we partnered them with Better Food Foundation for their um, campaign on school and they're, they're doing a lot of stuff. So it's really great to hear all these changes happening and how those students, not the fellows, but the students in, their, in the fellows community is also learning, being apt to that. And then if we're in the classroom as well, they're learning it from different areas and seeing it and witnessing it. And they're more likely to support, for example, the students at UCLA are more likely to support Parker because there's a cultural shift happening on campus. So you say you're fact-based and you just stick to the facts. Now, I don't know if you can see this, but this is the greenhouse gas emissions across the supply chain. Right at the top, it's a little grayed out, beef, then lamb and mutton, then cheese, then beef. These are the foods, of all foods, with the highest um, greenhouse gas emissions, which is precisely why people could reduce their emissions footprint by 75% by 2030. 
by switching to a plant-based diet, according to a new Oxford University study. But the efforts to shut this information down are very, very powerful. The meat industry, for example, blocked the IPCC's, which is Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's, attempt to recommend a plant-based diet. A leaked draft revealed how the meat industry is obstructing efforts to curb climate change. So um, are you more successful than, let's say, the IPCC, a very powerful organization, in getting this message out, Parker? I think it's a different conversation when it comes to sweeping guidelines from a governmental or intergovernmental body compared to on the ground grassroots activism. And I think that both angles cannot be ignored. I think it's very important for students to be talking to their peers and their family and their immediate communities on how to make switches in their own life. But I think it's also impactful for these large organizations to send out new guidelines about what is a healthy diet, what is a earth-sustaining diet. And without both ends, then there isn't going to be substantial change. Do you get pushback from some students? I mean, the reason I ask is we are always going live, whether it's on our streaming network, on Instagram, on TikTok. And a lot of times we get the mm, bacon you know, the the sarcasm, you know what they say. First, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they get angry at you, and then they join you. Where are we and what have you experienced, Natalie? Yeah, students have been in classrooms have been respectful for the most part. They, there is no, um, you know, gross comments like that. But I will say that a lot of students don't feel that it impacts them right initially but once because we're fact-based and because we're showing the data and we're very much explaining how it impacts them and whether it impacts them directly I mean I think a lot of people just people in general not just students if the problem isn't at your doorstep you tend to care less and we have those conversations which is really important about having the in-person aspect in classrooms versus you know video pre-recorded videos is to have those real conversations to really dig deep into the cognitive dissonance and lead with curiosity and ask questions. Well, why don't you care if, if that is, you know, the angle that the student is, co is coming from, they don't care. Okay, well, why? And then being able to have those conversations in, the, in a safe space is really important, not only for the student to challenge themselves, but also for the entire system to challenge themselves themselves. Cause we don't have this conversation. This, we aren't taught about factory farming through the K in the K through 12 system. It's not talked about often. So being able to have those open conversations and really challenge students in a safe way is is really impactful. And, and students are usually, for the most part, really open to having those conversations. Do you do training? Because honestly, sometimes it's it takes like the patience of saying to not react. Yeah. Um, you want to say, you know, whatever you want to just react and say oh you think you're being cute but blah 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 and of course a professional answer is not to do that is to say as gene bauer the co-founder of farm sanctuary says we accept everybody wherever they are on the journey and he seems like a particularly unprovocable person <laughs> um but i for example am an easily provocable person but i'm learning i just learned to try to Stay calm, 
So young people, how do you get them to respond as if they're the head of an HR uh, um, agency inside a big corporation, which is like no reaction ever at all? I think that at the end of the day, the people who we think are adversaries are ultimately people that can be our allies. Um, I was at a demonstration at Shake Shack in Culver City, and I was really nervous about the manager coming up to talk to us about why do we have these picket signs? Why do we have the Shake Shack logo with blood all over it? And at the end of the day, she's the one who's going to be talking to corporate and her higher managers about the fact that Shake Shack hasn't declared their progress on their international cage-free standards. And at the end of the day, it's that kid who says he loves bacon that could be the next member of your club that you could be you know, sharing a meal with and having him spread the message to his friends as well. So if you see people as opportunities to be future allies, the worst thing you could do is scare them away and make them feel like you're never going to accept them and not meet them where they are. And wait a second, because this is, you're so mature. Like, did you just, is that in the hard drive or did you get that through training from the New Roots Institute? Yeah, I definitely think that I knew that that's the way that you should go about doing things. But when you're put on the spot, that's not always how you react. I got training from the New Roots Institute during their lesson seminars. They talked about responses to hecklers and talking about how you need to challenge ideas and not challenge people. That's a really important message I got from them. I've also learned a lot from local Los Angeles activists. I learned from Jeanette Martinez from the Humane League because I went to one of her BJ's demonstrations before my Shake Shack demonstration. I've learned from Natalie because she's the one that reviewed our presentations when we gave practice ones and made sure that we weren't using any opinion words and we're sticking to the facts. So I think that a big culmination of this community has led to me being able to approach the conversations that are very difficult with a level head, but it is still a work in progress because it is an emotional subject. So that such great answers and learning, really feeling like I'm understanding. And I think the viewers, the New Roots Institute, what it is doing. Now, is this primarily a United States organization or are you doing this around the world? Because certainly we need a global New Roots Institute. Yeah, so we have seven lead educators in the U.S. So we are in person in the U.S., but we have fellows in the in the leadership program all over the world. And those fellows are also giving lessons in their communities as well. So we have fellows in Cameroon and um, in Saudi Arabia and UAE and sorry, not Saudi Arabia, UAE and Mexico, Peru. We have leaders or lead uh, fellows and alumni in these schools and campuses all over the world. So we are working on bringing more international students. This last summer we had, I don't know the exact number, but we had international fellows from China, Japan, um, Ghana, Nigeria, and more. There's, there's so many, but it was really important to invite all these students and continue to share the message because like you mentioned, this is a global issue and we need a global presence everywhere and more people talking about this, not just in the U.S., even though the U.S. is the largest meat producer in the world and we consume the most meat in the world. But yeah, so we are we are everywhere. Our fellowship program aims or targets students all over the world. So I just wow. wanted 
to add that the fellows that I've experienced meeting from around the world have been some of the most incredible people. There are full medical surgeons, there are veterinarians, there are people who have already landed jobs working in animal advocacy in India. So I feel really blessed to be part of this like international network of students changing the world. Oh, wow. So uh, I want to say we are two minutes from closing. I'd like to give each of you about 45 seconds to uh, have a final thought, starting with Natalie. Yeah, I just want to say that if you have a student in your life or a teacher in your life that wants to learn more or has access to welcome me or New Roots into their classroom all over the U.S. and internationally, please reach out to us, go to our webpage and fill out the interest form and really spread the knowledge. If you have anyone in, in your circle that is interested in learning more about these issues, have them join our leadership program. It's absolutely free to students and fellows because of generous donors. So definitely don't feel, you know, feel free to reach out, ask questions and share our, our work. Parker. Something that's been invaluable to me as a student activist is having a community of like-minded individuals. So if you're a student or you have children that are student-aged or friends, I really encourage them to join groups like the New Roots Institute, but also Plant Futures. They have chapters around the country. The All Protein Project, they have chapters around the country. And most universities have their own vegetarian, vegan society. So look for those, they exist. And if they don't, build them. The New Roots Institute will support you in building them. And just make friends, have good food together and spread the word. I am so impressed by what you're doing. I think it's so essential and it's so effective and it's so organized. You guys are really, sorry, you folks, you people are really organized. And that I think is um, one of the key things that we need something that is a system and it's done methodically and with organization. I've been to a lot of protests in my life and they're great, but there's a certain element of chaos that comes with it. And I think your approach is very much a very important piece of the puzzle. As we wrap up, please, everybody, download the Unchained TV streaming network. We are free, 100% free. We are almost entirely volunteer run. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. You can download it on your phone. Any phone, just put, put the Unchained TV in the App Store. It's on any Samsung Smart TV. Just go to the Smart Hub on your Samsung Smart TV or on any TV via Amazon Fire Stick, Apple TV device, or Roku device. And you can always just go to UnchainedTV.com and watch it online. So thank you so much for joining us. Here's to the New Roots Institute. See you next time on Unchained TV. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Unchained TV. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.